The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning to all of you. I wonder if we could get the lights up a bit. Thank you. The eyes aren't quite as (laughs) good as they used to be. Good. Perfect. Thank you. So, welcome to the second in our three-part series on the paramis, or paramitas. These are the ten perfections, the qualities that we perfect through our practice on the way to awakening, or on the way to Buddhahood. And these are qualities that we both cultivate That is, we do our best to arouse. And also they naturally arise as we practice. So this is always important to remember that they sometimes just naturally arise through our practice. And other times we make effort to cultivate them. So just quickly, last week we talked about the first three which were generosity, morality or virtue, and renunciation or simplicity. And just a word about each one. With generosity, I emphasized that it was much more than money or things. That there are many other ways that we can be generous, including a generous attitude, a generous open heart. It's said that it's more important how we do something than what we actually do. And with morality or virtue, we create safety through our virtuous conduct. That is, when we all agree to a set of precepts, then we can feel safe with each other. We know that we are not going to be harmed, certainly not intentionally, by anyone else. And so the precepts are a way of creating safety, refuge sometimes they're called. And they are to be worked with. They are not just black and white, They have many shades of gray, and it is our practice to work with each of them. And renunciation, or simplify. Remembering that simplifying our lives brings freedom. The more we have, whether it's possessions or ideas, thoughts, concepts, the more there is to protect, the more there is to defend. And when we can let go, or at least hold them lightly, then there's a freedom that comes with that. We don't have to defend anything. So today we're going to talk about the next three, and that is wisdom, energy, and patience. And then next week we'll do the last four, which will be truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. So starting today with wisdom. Wisdom, of course, is a huge topic. We could easily spend the whole time on wisdom. What I want to say first is that wisdom is so much more than facts or knowledge. Wisdom is deeper. We can have a lot of theoretical knowledge, or as my mother used to say, book learning. (laughs) And that does not necessarily translate to wisdom. It can, it might, but it doesn't necessarily. And the wisdom we're talking about is deeper. It's more of a knowing. It's not just intuition although Jack Cornfield refers to it as intuitive 
knowing. But it's not just intuition. It's not just, oh, I have this feeling or this sense. It's intuitive knowing that is grounded in experience. It's like that aha moment. You know how you can know something intellectually? And then you have the experience. And you go, ah, that's what it is. There's a difference, right? If you can think, you know, I knew that. How many times have I heard that? But until you have the direct experience, it's not the same. It's not as grounded. So wisdom is that grounded knowledge that grounded, that's grounded in direct experience. It's an understanding, a deep understanding of the way things are. You hear that over and over in Buddhist understanding. The way things are. And typically this includes the three characteristics. The three characteristics of existence, as you may remember, are the impermanence of everything, Everything that arises in this lifetime passes away. Everything, including us, is impermanent. The second characteristic is that life has inherent dissatisfaction or suffering. In many ways, impermanence is part of that dissatisfaction. Um, but there are many things listed. You know, we don't get what we want, and we get often what we don't want. And um, there are many, many ways that we suffer or that we feel dissatisfied, and that it's not us. It's not that there's something wrong with us or there's a fault in us. It is the nature of life that things are inherently unsatisfactory. And the third characteristic is the non-self, or emptiness, or selflessness of everything. So nothing, again, including us, has a solid, separate, lasting quality. Everything is impermanent and is in process. And those can be very, very deep concepts. I've said them kind of quickly, um, but to really understand them takes a lot of practice, a lot of recognition. But that's considered the basis of wisdom. We call our meditation vipassana, or insight. And it's insight into the nature of things. And those three characteristics are the nature of things. They're not beliefs. I want to stress this. Buddhism is not a belief system. It's not that I'm telling you something that you need to believe. I'm suggesting something that you can explore for yourself. That you can see for yourself is true. This is what the Buddha always taught. I think you'll find what I'm saying is true, but don't take it just because I said so. Check it out for yourself. See, discover the impermanence, the dissatisfaction, and the non-self nature of everything. So there's a few more things that we can say about wisdom. One is understanding the nature of suffering or dissatisfaction. And that involves basically the Four Noble Truths, the foundational practices of Buddhist understanding. Realizing the suffering that is inherent in life recognizing the origin of that suffering, which the Buddha determined was our grasping, our attachment, our hanging on. 
recognizing that there can be an end to the suffering, and then the path that we walk that can take us to the end of suffering. And again, you know, that's a quick overview of the Four Noble Truths. And to really understand them, we practice and look deeply over a long period of time. And they're the kinds of things that that you get on one level and then a little while later you realize a deeper level and then a little while later an even deeper level and they're constantly deepening, constantly being uh, understood. Another piece of wisdom can be understanding karma. And again, this is a huge topic. Karma is not well understood in the West because it's not part of our culture. It's a new concept that has been introduced. And so there's a lot of misunderstandings. And karma is often very unskillfully used. People can toss out karma in ways that can be very hurtful, very harmful to people. For me... I like to boil it down to one simple sentence, and that is that our thoughts, our speech, our actions do matter. They affect us, they affect other people. And recognizing that, truly understanding that, can lead to compassionate action compassionate action for ourselves and for others. That there are consequences to our behavior. As one person said, karma means you don't get away with nothing. And I think that is valuable to understand. Again, I sort of used an incorrect word when I said um, karma is a concept. In Buddhist understanding, it's not really a concept. It's, again, seeing the way things are. Seeing things as they are. So seeing that our actions, speech, and thoughts have consequences. They do affect. The other thing the Buddha taught, which I think is so important, is that karma is so complicated you can never untangle it all. So while I'm suggesting that, that karma, our actions, do have consequences, there are so many what we call causes and conditions involved that it's very hard to totally understand karma. And this is one reason that that it's so unskillful, it's so unwise to toss out, as you've probably heard, oh, that's just her karma or his karma or whatever. There may be truth to that. But when it's said, oh, it's just, (laughs) um, that really minimizes the, the complexity of karma. So... What I mean by complexity is that there can be so many causes and conditions, so many factors that go into any action, any speech, any thought, that it's very difficult to tease them all out. Everything from how we slept last night whether we ate this morning, uh, what happened last night that's still affecting us, maybe what we dreamed, what, what was the um, traffic situation driving here, uh, the temperature of the room, um, you get the idea, right? There's so many factors that go into something. It's not just linear, it's not just black, or white. It is all those things that come together 
to create any moment of activity or thought. And when we suggest, oh, that's just her karma or his karma, it can be a way of negating all those causes and conditions. It can sound um, uh, blaming or very cruel, when instead understanding karma can lead us to compassion. If something very difficult is happening for somebody and we understand that there were roots of that either earlier in this lifetime or if you acknowledge previous lives and in a previous life, then we can have compassion for that person. That makes so much more sense, doesn't it, than to blame or to write it off as karma. We can have compassion for whatever happened at an earlier time that brought this person to this position where they act or speak in this particular way. It's said that wisdom pervades all the other nine paramis. So all the other paramis, paramitas, contain wisdom. So wisdom becomes very important. Wisdom or wise understanding, seeing things clearly. We also know in Buddhist understanding that compassion and wisdom are the two arms of practice. We need both. So wisdom, as important as it is, without compassion, can be dry, can be theoretical. However, compassion, without the wisdom arm or factor, um, can be unskillful, can be pity, can be sloppy. So we need both. We need to balance our wisdom with compassion and balance our compassion with our wisdom. Wisdom also entails being able to discern or to see what is skillful from what is unskillful, what is harmful from what is non-harming. What is wholesome from what is unwholesome. And as we know, this takes a lot of practice and a lot of mindfulness, paying attention, so that we see what leads to happiness or to the end of suffering, to ease, and what leads to more suffering more dissatisfaction, a lack of ease. And mindfulness is our greatest tool, paying attention so that we see clearly and understand what our speech and thoughts and actions lead to. And I really want to underscore thoughts because so often we talk about speech and action. But remember, the Buddha suggested that it all begins with our thoughts. What we're thinking, the way we're thinking, leads to the way we speak and the way we act. So being very mindful of our thoughts. That's why we put so much emphasis on paying attention to the mind, because that's where it all begins. So I'm going to pause for a couple of moments and see, are there questions, comments? That's an awful lot of information in a few short minutes. I believe I heard you say last week that this is a 
available on an audio recording? Yes. Okay, uh, because there is a lot of information. I mean, <laughs> having read a lot of this before and then to hear you repeat it, the more I hear it, of course, the more familiar I become with it. <laughs> but I'd like to have access to that, and I, I asked just for my own edification, and I, I'm sure it's a question somebody else had too, so mm -hmm. thank you. So just go to the IMC website mm -hmm. and Audio Dharma, and then the date and myself, and you'll find it. I'm on your mailing list, so thank you. Mm -hmm. Good. Anything else? No? Okay, well, let's move on then to the next quality, which is effort or energy. And I don't know if you remember, I said last week that these paramitas are listed in a particular order because it's said that they build on each other. So from wisdom can come effort or energy. And we use those terms interchangeably. Uh, however, they have slightly different meanings. For me, as I see it, um, effort is a verb. It's, it's the effort that we make. It's what we do. Um, energy is more like a noun. It is, it is that, um, that we arouse. It is... I can't think of another name for energy, but <laughs> it, is, uh, it comes from the effort that we make, shall we say. And there are other synonyms. Diligence is one. Perseverance is one. Being able to make sus sustained effort. So in this practice we are encouraged to make great effort. At the same time, we're encouraged to do so in a relaxed way. And sometimes those two may seem contradictory. Our job with making effort and energy is to learn how to balance that for ourselves. And this means coming to know ourselves quite well so that we see clearly when we're making too much effort. That is, when there's too much striving and maybe there's tension, there's a tightness in the body. And that can actually get in the way. It could actually impede our clear seeing. It can lead to anxiety and frustration and agitation. And so when we recognize that, then we know, ah, time to pull back a little bit. Not give up, not get sloppy, but just ease up a little bit. Not make so much striving effort. Sometimes effort can be balanced by concentration. So if we see that we're getting tight, that we're striving too hard, we can go to concentration practice, go back to the breath and stay with the breath. And some concentration can bring some calm and relax us a bit. And then we can go back to making efforts. On the other hand, there might be times that we're not making enough effort. We're getting kind of, could be complacent, could be sloppy, could be lazy, whatever word you want to use, um, sleepy perhaps. And we recognize, oh, oh, I'm getting too dull. Let's bring a little more effort. And you can do it physically, if you're meditating, just by sitting up straighter. Often that helps me, just to physically sit up straighter. That brings a little more energy. You can have the intention uh, to make 
more effort. Just by realizing, oh, I'm getting a little droopy. I need to make more effort. Gil said to me one time, vigilance. (laughs) I've never forgotten that. In other words, you know, bring a little more effort to paying attention. It's, It's so easy sometimes. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. And then we don't really bring that extra bit of vigilance or attention. So learning for ourselves when to make more effort and when to back off. And it is important that we know because only we know what's going on inside of us. Sometimes it's obvious from the outside, sometimes it's not. Sometimes what looks like laziness or complacency may not be at all. It may be an important relaxing. And so it's important for us to be aware of ourselves and know when we need to relax and when we need to put forth more effort. So I also want to mention in the teachings there are what's known as the four great efforts or the four right efforts. Have you heard of these efforts? No? Um, Basically, the four wise efforts are, one, to sustain or maintain skillful, healthy, positive qualities that have already arisen. So generosity has already arisen. Loving kindness has already arisen. Compassion is already there. Then what we want to do is sustain those, maintain those. So recognizing them is the first thing. Sometimes we don't even recognize them. Seeing, oh, that's compassion. Yeah, that's loving kindness that may just automatically arise. And then how do we practice to maintain those qualities? Then the second great effort is is to abandon or let go refrain from those unskillful qualities that have arisen. Things such as uh, maybe uncontrolled anger, jealousy, envy, fear, the things that get in our way. Now, anger and fear aren't inherently unskillful but they often lead to unskillful behavior. And that's why they're listed as unskillful. So being aware when these qualities have arisen and letting go, abandoning, doing what we need to do not to encourage or maintain those unskillful qualities. Then the third is that we want to develop skillful, wholesome qualities that haven't yet arisen. So if generosity has not yet arisen, then we want to cultivate generosity. We might do that in several ways. We might make it an intentional practice to be generous in ways that we might not have at Other times, we can observe the generosity of other people. That's often very inspiring when we see how other people are being generous. Often it's ways that we hadn't even thought of. So it's instructive. And that can help us to develop more generosity or loving kindness or compassion or whatever the quality is that we want to develop. And then the fourth of the efforts is we want to avoid (laughs) those situations where the unskillful qualities might arise. 
So if we know that in such and such a situation we are undoubtedly going to get angry, then maybe we can stay away from those situations. We can also work with our anger. If we know that a certain situation is going to bring up envy, uh, the comparing mind, or resentment, or some unkind um, reaction, then we can just avoid those situations so that we don't allow those unskillful qualities to arise because the more they arise, the more we tend to get caught in them and then that just feeds them. So not allowing them to arise in the first place is generally the most skillful. Now, of course, we can't always avoid it. But if we know, sometimes I use the analogy of an alcoholic. An alcoholic who's in recovery does not hang around bars (laughs) or places where there's a lot of alcohol. You know, why would they? They're, They're wanting to stay away from it. So they don't put themselves in situations where they're going to be tempted or where the culture is that of drinking and they don't want to drink. So that's what I mean by not putting ourselves in situations where those unskillful qualities are likely to arise. So we can remember those as sustaining, abandoning, developing, and avoiding. And then it's important with effort or energy to have enough wisdom to know where to put our energy, what to make great effort at. And I'm always reminded of, I love this story of Mullah Nasruddin, um, who was looking for his keys. He was looking under the lamppost outside for his keys. And Somebody was aware that he'd been looking for quite some time. And so they said, Mullah, Mullah, where did you lose your keys? And Mullah said, oh, I lost them in the house, but there's more light out here. It's a great story for the unwise use of energy. No matter how long he looked outside under the lamppost, he wasn't going to find his keys because they were in the house. And so... Learning, we don't always know, but we can learn (laughs) where is it wise to put our energy and where is it not. And when we see, oh, that's not wise use of energy, then we can stop that. Again, comments or questions about wise effort or energy. Mm-hmm. Back here. Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. I was just uh, writing down as best I could because you have a lot of information. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't quite understand um, keeping away from situations which you know bring out things you don't want to happen. But is that sort of a cop-out, too? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that, because that occurred to me as I was speaking. (laughs) So then we need to use our wisdom. Certainly, at times, it can be. There are certain situations um, that it's probably important that we confront, even if it's going to bring up anger or whatever. But a lot of times... It's unnecessary. So, again, in my Morgan Hill group last night, someone was talking about uh, a situation where they were discussing something, I can't remember what it was, with a relative. And it got very heated and very uncomfortable. And this tends to happen repeatedly. So that is probably a situation to avoid. Why continue 
to arouse anger in both people. As this person said, you know, I love him. I don't want to fight with him. So why go there? Does that... Well, yeah, that's, that's common sense. I understand that. Um, I think there are, there are situations that um, you could just protect yourself from that. But sometimes I think it's good to go to it. As best you can, yeah. That's right. It, it really depends. Another one that comes to mind is the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, probably we can all relate to that. Almost everybody I know says, I have to take a break. I have to stop listening. Maybe not entirely, but so much. Some of us can get hooked, you know, and we're listening in the car, and we're listening at home, and then we watch the news on TV, and read the paper in the morning, and it's overwhelming. It's too much. And it can bring up anger and fear, a lot of fear now. And bringing that up all the time may not be skillful. Yes, we have to be aware, but we don't have to be inundated with it. We don't have to be overdosed by it. And so, learning. I have a neighbor... That is the difficult person in my life. And we both know it, and so we avoid each other. Very unpleasant person, very difficult to have a relationship with. And so, and it works. It works very well. I haven't had a problem with him in a long time because we just avoid each other. So we don't create situations where we're going <laughs> to spark. Yeah. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking of a situation uh, where there was a, a woman that I used to uh, live nearby. She is uh, across the bay. And um, we were on opposite ends of a lot of... She's a very... Um, uh, Legalistic person in this sense. And uh, anyhow, uh, she hadn't realized something had happened in my life and she was sorry she didn't know about it. And we just decided to have lunch. And uh, this is after maybe 12 years had gone by or something, hadn't seen her. And I was thinking, uh, really glad she's back in my life. I don't know whether I've changed or she's changed or we can just hear each other now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think you're. Your topic is good and very help, healthy topic. I just wanted to put in a couple of observations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Okay, then let me move on um, to the next quality, which is patience. And I have to tell you, because <laughs> it stuck with me very recently. I saw a t-shirt that said, patience is not a virtue, it's a waste of time. (laughs) Boy, that caught my attention, (laughs) being a good Buddhist practitioner. (laughs) And it's funny, and yet it's sad at the same time. You know, patience is certainly not a waste of time. And actually, it doesn't have to take any time. It's an attitude. <laughs> you know, We can be very patient in a small amount of time. We don't need much time. Uh, but probably there are a lot of jokes about patience because a lot of us have issues with patience. Um, patience at this time in our culture probably is not considered a good quality. We're, we're such a fast-paced, you know, do-something, goal-oriented culture right now that patience is often not honored at all or not considered even a quality that we want to develop. However, from our practice perspective, it's very important Learning patience um, in 
so many different ways is very, very skillful. So um, patience can mean acceptance, accepting things as they are. Now, I know often when we say acceptance, people get all excited and think it means that we're condoning or we're saying something's okay. No, we're not. We're just accepting that that's how it is. Because when we accept something, then we act from a very different place. If we're not accepting, then we're resisting and fighting, and we come out of that, which often is um, anger or tense, or it's not going to lead to a good result, probably. Patience can also mean endurance or forbearance. Being willing to be with something. Allowing it to be. Um, Often when we think of patience, I think those of us that have children think of children. (laughs) And remember times that we were not very patient. Or with pets, right? That's how it comes up for me now. Um, I can... Mostly I'm quite patient, but boy, my patience can get tried at times when my dog has to smell the hundredth blade of grass. I can get impatient. Then I remind myself that she's just doing what dogs do. She's, that's what dogs, that's what walks are for, to sniff to smell. That's where she gets all her information. And then I can relax and be with that. And that's, that's a practice of patience. We can all get impatient with so many things. The person, the driver in front of us, right? Um, and then when we recognize You know, that person is probably going as fast as is safe for him or her in that situation. Let me back off, (laughs) relax, and enjoy going more slowly instead of getting all up tight. Making steady effort and being patient with ourselves, particularly in our practice Sometimes we get so impatient and think that we should have made more progress. We should be farther along the path. We should be more mindful. That's a big one, right? We've probably all done that. Oh my gosh, after 30 years I can still be so unmindful. Patience with ourselves. The best of us are unmindful at times. And the most important thing is just to see it, just to recognize, oh, that was a moment of unmindfulness, and come back to our mindfulness. So, um, Gil has a chapter in his book on patience, and he talks about three different ways or conditions in which we should be patient. And the first is patience under insult. That sounds maybe challenging, and it can be. When someone is being insulting in whatever way to us, can we just stop? And what that means is not react. We may decide to respond, but not out of reactivity. Not that knee-jerk response, but simply be with whatever the insult was. And he tells a, uh, a Buddhist story related to that. There was an angry man who insulted the Buddha. The Buddha simply asked the man. If people ever visited him in his home, surprised at the change of topic, the man answered yes. 
the Buddha then asked if he ever offered to feed his guests. When the man replied yes again, the Buddha asked what would happen if they refused to accept the food. Who would the food belong to then? The man said that, of course, it would still belong to him. The Buddha then calmly and, I imagine, kindly said, in the same way, I do not accept your insults. They remain with you. So that can be a good thing to remember. We don't have to accept anything that anybody tries to throw at us or give us. We can let them stay over there. And that can be enormously helpful. (laughs) Just not taking it on, just not responding, but letting it stay over there. Thich Nhat Hanh calls patience inclusiveness. And he says, we need to develop a heart as big as the ocean so that we can accept everything. We can take in, accept, and transform whatever comes our way. So we can take in that insult. And without taking it on, we can transform it. By our behavior, we can transform that insult and not take it on. The Tibetans have uh, a very important practice of doing this, taking in the suffering of someone else or of the world and breathing out peace or compassion or calm. It's a very, it can be a very, very powerful practice. So with patience, there can be trust. Trusting that things will work out. Life has its own way of working things out. And we don't always have to be in control or think we are. We usually aren't anyway, but we like to think we are. So we can let go and relax and let things work out. And again, I want to emphasize that that doesn't mean necessarily doing nothing or indifference, not caring, but trusting, trusting that things will work out and that we don't have to always be in there mucking it up. (laughs) So we only have a couple minutes, but uh, again, are there comments questions I just quickly like to uh, respond to that last comment you made Um, I think it's important um, to apply the other virtue of wisdom to patients Mm. I I think the t-shirt had it right in some cases uh, that you you can fool yourself to be patient that the outcome will resolve itself and it is what it meant to be but often you may be patient for something but it may never work out and you may have wasted your time in waiting for something that you figured would work out and perhaps you need to be more selective about what you're patient with or whom you're patient with for an outcome and I would wonder if you want to maybe address that concept yeah yeah a couple things come to mind one is that perhaps the way it worked out is okay even if it's not how you wanted it to work out. <laughs> I do agree that, that wisdom is always appropriate. And, um, but I, I want to use patience as a quality and not a doing, so that we can be patient with something, um, And still, we might do something, but we do it in a patient, accepting way. 
So it's not necessarily that if we're being patient, we don't do anything. We can be quite patient. Um, another example, I, I have a 14-year-old grandson who has cerebral palsy and cognitive delays. And sometimes it's really important that I allow him to do something, like putting on his shoes, which is becoming much easier, but that has taken great effort. And he gets impatient. He gets frustrated and just pulls, you know, and that's not going to help. And sometimes I will intervene, but gently. And other times, I just point it out. You know, you can pull like that all you want and it's not going to go on. You have to line it up. You have to... (laughs) So my tone, my attitude is the patience. And also not being in such a hurry to go somewhere. Because if I intervene and put his shoes on for him, he doesn't learn. And he needs to be able to do that. So my attitude of patience is most important. Not getting frustrated and getting angry with him, but patiently reminding him and encouraging him to do it this way. But my attitude is one of accepting this is challenging for him. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does in that particular case. I, I'm, I'm just thinking of an episode where, you know, somebody in a group would, would go on and on and on and on, and you're patient, and you're patient, but in the end, the patience didn't need to be, that it would have been far better for the group's dynamics to say, okay, let's get back to where we were. And so I, I, I suppose yeah. recently that occurred, and I, I just think that, a caveat <laughs> wisdom applying to that patience you know if yes. the outcome isn't for anybody's benefit perhaps uh, and that issue of enabling somebody you know in a situation yes yes i absolutely agree and i've been in that situation so many times <laughs> and probably done exactly that let it go on way too long that's that's a challenging one how to skillfully intervene Yes, yes. And then if we look carefully, it's probably much more than patience. (laughs) I know it is with me. It's not necessarily patience that lets me (laughs) continue to go on, but not knowing how to skillfully intervene so that I don't make somebody wrong, but recognizing that it's not good for everyone. Yes, that's a good example. Okay, well, I see that it's a couple minutes after 11, so um, I'll be around for a little bit if anybody has another question. And thank you. Uh, See you next week.